Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. I'm your host, Connor Livesey. Joined by my co-host here tonight, Joey Ikes. Uh, we have a lot to talk about as the Cowboys are coming off. Probably the most disappointing playoff loss I can remember. Um, we'll get into all that. We're going to talk about everything and more. 48-32 to 32 loss to the Green Bay Packers at home in the wild card round. We have a lot to talk about, so we're going to dive into it. Joey, before we do... You uh you recovered from the the brutal loss on Sunday, yes? Yeah, man. It's these types of games are always tough, and I like you said, it feels like this one was the worst for a a lot of reasons that we'll get into. But yeah, this one definitely feels like it was it was the worst, and it definitely took me a little while to um, to come back from it and be able to you know think about this team in a. Um, in a somewhat productive way. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. I mean, I think I think when you look at the San Francisco loss last year, like the team was flawed to a certain extent. You know, you felt like they're pretty good on defense, and you know, but you're kind of going through that part of the back half of the year where like defenses were adjusting to the Kellen Moore stuff, and the offense wasn't hitting on all cylinders. They're you know they come off obviously a huge win against Tampa Bay, but just heading into the playoffs with the way that Washington game went, you were kind of like, man, I don't know. And it was C.D. Lamb and a bunch of guys at that point. You know, Tony Pollard having a good year. To, you know, Zeke Elliott was still getting a lot of the running back workload. And then when you got you, – you won that Tampa Bay game and you started to believe a little bit, but you just knew going into San Francisco, like San Francisco was the better team. They are more talented. You didn't have really a passing game outlet outside of C.D. Lamb that was a big threat. Um and the year before that, I really didn't feel like they, you know, I felt like they were probably better suited to win in 2021 than 2022. Um, but at the same time, it's still you're going up against a, a team that you just you 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 thought you had a chance against, but it was just you didn't really know what to think of the team this year. You felt like you had a good matchup. You felt like you had the better, more experienced team, the more experienced coaching staff, and I mean, pretty much from start to finish, you. We talked about all last week. Our whole theme of our podcast last last week was the youth and inexperience of the Green Bay team, and from start to bottom, the youth and inexperienced Green Bay team whipped the veteran, experienced Cowboys team's ass on both sides of the ball and the coaching staff. Yeah, I think you pretty much summarized it. Um, That's all we got for today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, and I'm sure that. You know, if you're listening to this show, you have probably, by the time you listen to this, you've probably listened to, you know, RJ's show. You've probably listened to uh, the First in Ten show. You've probably listened to Writer's Block. You've probably listened to a lot of these shows by now. Um, But it's, it's really so hard. It came out of, there was really one path to victory for the Packers is what we sort of felt like. And it was if they get in the, the exact game script that they get into, where the Green Bay offense starts off hot, the Cowboys offense starts off slow, and then you wind up playing from behind the whole game. And sure enough, they drive right down the field and score a touchdown. Dallas goes five plays and out or six plays and out, and we can talk about the offense, which I know we will. 
and then you get a stop, you force a punt, you get a pick, 14 to nothing, and it's the, you know, end of the first quarter. And, you know, by that point, you got like a 30% win probability or something like that before the first quarter is even over. Oh, and I thought it was less, it was, I thought it was like 21 or something. Was, yeah, I, I'm not looking at the numbers. I'm, I'm sort of guessing just right. based on, you know, what we, what we know and understand about how the game works and stuff. But either way, the game was significantly over before the end of the first quarter. And that's been, unfortunately, it's been the story too many times in the, in the playoffs where the game has been over. And even if you fight and scratch and claw your way back and make it competitive, it's just, it's too little and it's too late. And that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. And I mean, you can pretty much, the Green Bay game, perfect example, 21 to three at halftime. They come back, they scratch a call, they fight back, come up short. Um, you know, last year against San Francisco, you know, is I know the final score wasn't as crazy, but it was like you felt like you were down in most of that game and you finally kind of got some rhythm going at the end of that game. You know, you had a chance to throw a Hail Mary up, you know, win the game, whatever, and then you – Fumble wall, you know, just there's always. It just seems like there's always something with 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 that this team. And we talked about that at certain parts of the regular season where it's just like they cannot get over the hump. Um, And I think the crazy, the crazy part of this for me, which is why I'm so aggressively on, they have to get rid of pretty much this entire coaching staff from offense, defense, positional coaches. They have to clear house there is because, like, all their losses this year were blowouts on both sides of the ball. Like, it's not like the offense just didn't play good and the defense played perfect or the offense was hitting on Austin. Like, it was like whenever they lost, they lost because neither side of the ball looked like they wanted to play football that day. And that was the case in a playoff game where you were heavily favored. And that is just crazy to me. Like, it's crazy to me that people were like, as soon as he threw the first, as soon as the first interception happened, which was on the Cowboys' second offensive drive of the game, the game was over. I was like, if they go down the field, it's 14 to nothing. If you're quitting on a 14 to nothing playoff game at home when you're the heavy favorite, then the mentality of this team is just lost. Yeah. Um and it just it it blows my mind that you know there's been so much talk about the quarterback and stuff like that. And we'll get into all that, but it just blows my mind that anytime this quarterback doesn't have a really good game, this team gets blown out. Right. That's so <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um so let's talk about the game from like a super high level cuz I want to get into the quarterback conversation and the head coach conversation sure. and stuff like that. Cause I feel like there's some really productive conversations to be had there that I think you and I are in position to have a pretty good conversation about, but the problem in the game, we talk about EPA per play a lot on this show. I feel like it's a really, really good statistic to show you how well a quarterback plays Jordan love. In the Cowboys' 48-32 to loss to the Packers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback, Jordan Love, in his first playoff game ever against the defense that was hailed by in many places, not in this podcast. You know, we've, <laughs> we, we, we've been pretty realistic about what defense looks like in the NFL and what this defense looks like. Every single time Jordan Love dropped back to throw the ball, it was worth over one point. He averaged 1.13 EPA per play. Again, for context for people, when Pat Mahomes wins the MVP most seasons, he wins it around 0.3 EPA per play. I don't have the quarterback rankings up right now, but I would guess that the overall leader in EPA per play for the year, probably Brock Purdy, is somewhere around 0.3 EPA per play. This was four times as good as the best quarterback's full season sample. Four times. 22 plays, he accounted for 24.9% or 24.9 expected points added. He had a 73% success rate 
and 55% of his plays, of his dropbacks, went for a first down. That in that in and of itself, the, the craziest one, Romeo Dobbs, six plays. So six targets, six catches. I don't have the stats, but six plays, 2.79 EPA per play to Romeo Dobbs. 1.79 EPA per play to Luke Musgrave. Now, part of that, I believe, is Luke Musgrave caught a touchdown pass and he only had three catches or three plays. Dontavian Wicks, 1.77 EPA per play. Aaron Jones, almost one EPA per catch. Like, just defense at such a level of incompetence that it makes the 2000. 11, 2012, 2013, 14, 15 Cowboys look like a good defense. That's what this game was. You just you just mentioned a whole lot of things that were honestly right, you know, right on point. Did not mention Aaron Jones carrying the football 21 times for 118 yards and three touchdowns. <laughs> right. Aaron Jones as a Aaron Jones as a ball carrier, a rusher, 0.19 EPA per play. So like top, what, 12-ish quarterback effectiveness, efficiency, from a running back carrying the ball. Now, a lot of that was the fact that early in the game, he got two very short touchdown runs. He did not, like, burst out for big yardage until the game was over. Right. But – Well, and, and I do want to get into that. We'll get into that, too. But we'll we'll that'll be a little bit later. Because I, yes. I do think to, – to preview what we're going to get into, I do think a certain aspect of the mentality and, you know – mental and physical toughness as his team comes into play because I think that whether it was garbage time or not, like if the defense just showed some sort of a fight into the fourth quarter, that game could have gotten a lot more interesting than it really was. I th- And again, maybe the Green Bay was just giving it away and didn't care what was going on, but they were finding some success moving the football for a little bit of time um, late in the game. But it's just, you, you know, you don't know if that was just them eating up clock or what. Yeah, I mean, Dak, to be fair to Dak, Dak had a 55% success rate on 74 plays. That's a nut success rate on a huge number of plays. They were very successful throwing the ball in this game. It was too little too late because it started off so slow. We'll get into that here in just a minute. But once they got into the game, they were very successful throwing the football. But it started off slow. and. I think that, and a lot of our listeners, you know, we both consider ourselves to be guys who are, you know, we believe in who Dak Prescott is as a quarterback. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So, but I do think there is value in, and I do think there is merit to, and, and it's time for a conversation about Dak Prescott. And, because we are now at the end of year eight. We saw him play this year at a level that I think you would agree and I would agree and most people would agree um, exceeded what he was as a, a quarterback in his first seven years. And he was one of the front runners, top three probably in most situations for most valuable player in the NFL. <clears throat> so, but you get into the playoffs, he has a poor game. Or let, let, I'll rephrase that. The offense has a poor game. Dak is a part of that. Well, I'm fine with saying he didn't play well. I mean, he yeah. did. I, I just want to make sure that I that I cover the whole the whole spectrum here. I know, I know. And the D, the offense doesn't play well, Dak included in that. And you get blown out. And we've seen this now in a ton of individual one-off big games. So I spent a lot of time, you know, basically from the end of this game, I let the anger kind of surpass after, you know, the first few hours. And I started thinking about like, what does all this really mean? Because we have too big of a sample size of Dak Prescott being an extremely good quarterback to say, oh, Dak's not good. He can't get it done. He can't play well enough to win you a Super Bowl. Dak has five, six game stretches all the time that, blow the production of every other quarterback in the league out of the water in those stretches. People will get mad at this, but he was the best quarterback in the league from weeks eight to 14, 15. 
I think you could say that with relative consistency factored in from play to play, he was the best quarterback in the league all year. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, part of that is the fact that Brock Purdy got hurt. Part of that is taking into account what Brock Purdy has offensively. We'll get into that here in a few minutes. Um, Dak Prescott was one of, if not the very best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. And we now have a sample from 2016 to 2023, eight years, with two different head coaches, three or four different play callers. Am I missing one? <laughs> I think it, I think it's three different offensive play callers. Um, so multiple systems, multiple different wide receiver cores, multiple different um, priorities in terms of offensive structure and all that other kind of stuff. And Dak has consistently been, over the course of a full season sample, one of the eight to five to eight best quarterbacks in the league every year. With the upside that he showed this year in season eight, call it peak Dak, and he's probably got a two to three year stretch where he can play at this level. And he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league over the full season. But he is not the super freak, ultra-physical talent, super cyan quarterback that Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, even Lamar Jackson from a pure physical talent, even Matt Stafford is in a pure pure physical talent, Justin Herbert. And I think we got to talk about the guy they played against, Jordan Love, from a pure physical, like, watch-what-my-arm-can-do talent standpoint. He does not have the and, arm talent of the job. Exactly. And the, and the guy and the guy down here in Houston is getting is something you're gonna have to start talking about in that round that realm too, of just the dudes with the arms that can do the crazy, crazy stuff. He's not that guy. And because he's not that guy, in any individual game, if the game, if the offensive game plan isn't right it's too easy to push him off of that tier of quarterback play he can play at that level with all of those guys and with and he can consistently play at a high level more than and produce at a high level more than Stafford and Herbert and Love and even Stroud and and, and those guys and Lamar even from a consistency standpoint but he's not that guy physically and so he's not going to bail you out of bad scheme over and over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout an entire game. My question he'll do, to you he'll do it a time or two, and he's been really good on third downs for his entire career, which is like a super you know quarterbacky stat, right? But he's not that super ultra talent going to overcome a really bad game plan. It doesn't have to be a perfect game plan. Right. It just can't be a really bad game plan. So so my – and I'm, I would like to preface it by saying I don't disagree with anything you said as far as the arm talent. My question to you is who in the league other than Mahomes, and we haven't really seen that with the bad game plan, who who can do that? Like I think you, I think you dropped Josh Allen. I mean, I think you dropped Patrick Mahomes in a situation where we're – you know, where we're – running screens on first and 10 from the 25 yard line with 38 seconds left and no timeouts left and, or one timeout left before the half. And you're running sprint right option three or four times a game. And you're running, you know, dragging into cover two cover. Like I, my question, I guess to you and is who it like, and that's what we, we talked about on Twitter a little bit. Like, it's just like, I would understand I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I would understand the point more if they were trying to like open the offense up more when they got down like that. And he was struggling to make, you know, he was struggling to make the throws down the field that you had to like climb them back in. But the crazy thing is, is when they do that, that's when they're successful. It's like when they try to keep banging the slant flat over and over again, they try to run the sprint right option. That that's when I feel like they struggle because they're running right into the teeth of what the defense are wanting you to do, and they're not opening up the the you know the cannons more for 
more explosive plays, I guess. Right. And that that's sort of the point is that there are not very many guys who can, can consistently be good with bad game plans. Right. The thing yeah, is, I, is I, that, I told somebody on Twitter today, like Josh Allen got his offense coordinator fired halfway through the year because they were complaining about the, you know, right design, Absolutely. the play calls and how, you know, they weren't doing this and that. And I was like, yeah, like the guy that people want to pop up is the MVP of the league. Like his coordinator got fired and because they weren't executing. Good enough. So that's like I said, I, I don't disagree with the point. It's just, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I think, and we've talked about this on the show a lot. Like there was aspects of this year and times of this year where McCarthy was really good. And there was aspects of this. We talked about it last week. I think it was, and it was like, when he's bad, he's terrible. And it's like, I don't know if there's, I go back to those 2017, 2018 green Bay years when the, you know, the Packers were six, nine and one and six and eight or whatever. And it's like, I know Aaron Rodgers missed half of the seasons in one of those, but it was like, people were telling, telling you Aaron Rodgers couldn't play football anymore. Like he's washed, he's done. He can't play anymore. They bring him out before the next year. He wins two MVPs. They make the two NFC championship games. And it's like, Oh, okay. We knew what the issue was there. Right. And that's sort of the point that I'm getting at is in any individual game, if the game plan is bad, Josh Allen can go chaos mode and scramble around and run around like crazy and stiff arm 95 people and run through a bunch of tackles, convert third and 13, eight times with his legs if he has to, and keep you in a game until you get it figured out and, you, and get you in position to win. Pat Mahomes does it different, but can do the same thing. Lamar Jackson does it different, can do the same thing. Matt Stafford, with really bad teams around him in Detroit, could kind of do the same thing. Just because he's just a freaky, creative arm talent guy. He's going to get to reads nobody else gets to. That's what I'm talking about with Dak, is that in a game where the defense has a really good game plan – because it's the playoffs, and that's what happens. It gets super game plan and they get really deep, and it's really cha- – there's full of change-ups, and things get really, really chaos, right? Dak is not the guy – we saw him do it on the first series where he drops back. It's like third and six or whatever because they ran the ball and threw a, a pass to the flat, and it's second – and or it's third and six or seven or something like that. Dak runs for 18 of the 27 yards they gained on their first drive. But Dak is not going to do that play after play after play after play after play to keep your offense moving if the structure is bad. So the moral of this story is the number one priority for this entire organization from the end of the game against the Packers until they get it right has to be we have to get to a point where we have consistency with the quality of the offensive game plan. And And just, just for the people listening, I want to kind of highlight a point you made earlier is like, we're not saying it has to be perfect. It just can't be crappy. (laughs) Right. You can't come out because think about the way the difference between, and you know, you and I watch the all 22 so we can visualize it to that level. Not everybody does that. Not everybody has the time to. I get it. But, and you even did an awesome job. You posted the first four passes that they ran in the first quarter. All of the, all 22 angle, all of the fourth quarter, all of the first quarter passes they threw. The only one of those that looked like an NFL concept was the last one that got intercepted. Yeah. The rest of them just looked like a bunch of dudes running down the field. There was no coordination. There was no spacing. There was no motion. There was no crossing routes. There was nothing. It was one guy run to the flat, two guys run down the field, another guy run out and check up over the ball. And now there's that's something JT O'Sullivan and Kurt Warner, like all those guys who do the breakdowns, yeah, they they're like 
yeah, you know, I don't really love the three guys running vertical or, you know, the all hitch, like you're not really tying anything together to make, you know, to leverage defenders to think about covering that space when they should be covering this space. Like, and that's one of the, you know, you, you watch the Kurt Warner videos and he's like the details, like on the yeah. second interception, he was like, Hey, the quarterback shouldn't throw the pick, but when you're running triple slant and all three slants are run at the same depth and you're showing a play fake, that's knocking the quarterback's timing off and, you know, taking his eyes away from the coverage. It's like, those are things that just don't make a whole lot of sense in the offensive game plan and details. I don't know why we're doing them. And that's just aspects of the game that a lot of, you know, fans and casual fans aren't going to pay attention to watch, spend the time on whatever that we try to, to get on the show and talk about and be like, Hey, it's more than just the quarterback played like crap. That's why he lost. <laughs> Absolutely. And there is an argument to be made that some of the game plan related early script stuff rests with the quarterback. Yeah. We know he and Mike McCarthy have a fantastic relationship. We know they spend a lot of time together. We know that part of the whole idea of Mike McCarthy taking over the play calling was that he was going to incorporate a lot of what Dak liked into what he liked and that they were going to try to put something together. But I think the results that you saw this year are what it looks like when a coach is trying to coach and call plays in a style in which he is not fully comfortable with and not fully bought into. Because like if you watch if you watch the Rams play against the Lions uh, this weekend. I don't remember what day it was. There was so much football, which was awesome. Sunday night, right? Was it after the Cowboys game? Yeah. Yeah. The Rams used motion on something like 92% of their snaps or something like that. That's what it looks like when a coach believes in a certain style of offense. When a coach believes in something, you just spam it over and over in 9,000 different ways from every different possible formation. And you just blow bludgeon people over the head with it until they stop you. What it looks like when a coach doesn't necessarily believe in that stuff or want to play that way is one play, you line up two by two and run dragon lion, which is slant flat on one side and double slants on the other side. And then the next play, you run a four by one with an exit motion the other way and two crossers and a mesh going back the other way and all the good stuff. And then you get an 18 yard play and you line up two by two with two tight ends and you run some sort of weird counter run that doesn't really tie into anything that you've been running the rest of the week. And you get stuffed for a minus two yard loss. And then you want to get seven yards back. So you line up three by one and run, run slant, run stick slant. Because you don't really believe it's not who you are as a coach. This is what happens when you take. You like some things about the Jason Garrett offense, but you don't want him to call the plays anymore. So you put Bill Callahan in to call the plays and you kind of want him to call the Jason Garrett offense, but we're going to let him call it some of his own. It winds up kind of funky. That doesn't work. Okay, we're going to hire Scott Linehan. He's going to keep a lot of the Jason Garrett stuff, but he's going to do it his own way. And then you let go of Scott Linehan and you're going to hire Kellen Moore and he's going to add some of his little stuff to it. And we're going to have the same kind of offense, but we're going to add some new wrinkles to it. And that's going to be the offense. And that happens for a few years. And then, you know, we're going to let Kellen go. Mike's going to call the plays. We're going to bring in some of the stuff that Mike likes to do. We're going to pull in the stuff that we used to do with Kellen. We're going to call it the Texas Coast offense. And it's going to be the new best thing in football. Is None of it is consistent. None of it is tied together. None of it looks the way that it should look on a consistent basis. I You could pull five plays that the Cowboys ran this year, probably, if you went back and watched every play, that are the most creative, awesome plays to create massive explosive gains that you'll see all year across the NFL. Yeah, they, they, ran, they ran a cool one down 20-some points in the fourth quarter that I don't know why they even bothered pulling the – the deep CD lamb shot was a yes design where it was like a, it's like they faked the sprint right option and then rolled it back. And uh, I can't remember the exact thoughts of the game. I just remember I tweeted like, sweet. Now you pull out cool shit down 20 with minutes to go. <laughs> right. Right. But, but this is what it looks like. 
And so, moral of the Dak Prescott conversation rolled into the Mike McCarthy offense conversation. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time. And I think you said it earlier and I, I you know, kind of held off my statement on it to get to this point. It is time for them to move on from Mike McCarthy. And it is time for them to stop trying to hold on to a core of an offense and bolt some things onto it that they think are cool. And it's time for them to adopt an offense. Yeah. And it's time. I don't know about you. I'm sick and tired of getting molly by every Kyle Shanahan coach that we face. I'd like to have one of those guys. Yeah, we haven't even we haven't even gotten into the you know defensive stuff yet, which we will. Like I said, this might be a little bit longer show, but yeah, I, I, that's that's what I want. I want offensive consistency and creativity. And yes, like it's we're not. And people people will tell you, oh, you need to hire Jim Harbaugh because you need toughness, and you need to hire Bill Belichick because you need discipline, or Mike Vrabel because you need toughness. Frankly, this is going to sound like. This is this take is a little bit out there, and I don't know. I don't think this team isn't tough. I don't think this team is very smart. And when you're not, both, but I think, and, and, and when you're I'd not, rather have the intelligence and creativity than the physical toughness, if that makes sense. Because you see this team when they play against teams that they can line up and play mano a mano against, and they just bludgeon the crap out of them. In the run game offensively, in the run game defensively, they just beat the crap out of teams when they know what they're seeing. You, you didn't get I, beat by you didn't get beat by toughness on Sunday. You got beat because the quarterback and play caller put your defense coordinator over his leg and smacked him in the rear end for sixty minutes. <laughs> exactly. And so, if you if there's a football IQ problem, and you don't have a great game plan and you come up against a team that has a really good game plan, you're going to hesitate, which is going to make you slow. And if you look, if you play slow in the NFL, you will get your tail whipped. Play after play after play after play. And that is exactly what happened in this game. And so I don't think they need toughness, rah-rah, culture, let's go, discipline guy. Because smart football players don't run into the punt return. <laughs> smart football players don't line up or jump off sides. Smart football players don't make those mistakes. So put these guys – so what I'm getting at is people will argue this team guys. needs toughness and physicality and all that kind of stuff. I would argue the best thing about this coaching staff was the culture, 
was the way guys got along in the locker room, was how much the guys liked them, how they wanted to play for them, all that stuff. They don't need that. They had that, and this is what it got you. It got you whipped from a coaching standpoint every time you played a high-level coaching staff. Yep. And I don't even think the Packers' defense is that well coached. Oh, it's not. And that tells you something. If you uh, Again, the, the tone on Twitter before the game was – yeah, you know, we've had a good year in a re, you know, year we're supposed to be rebuilding. Please beat the crap out of us on defense so we'll fire Joe Barry. And that's obviously not what happened. <laughs> right. So I think I think and I think it is a win or it like I don't I don't think it's a hundred percent guaranteed that Mike McCarthy's gone. He should be. It, he should one hundred percent be gone. I don't think that's the case that he's a hundred percent gone. You know, I'd probably put it fifty fifty right now, but I think for me to 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 put a bow kind of on that discussion is I don't care I don't care about the toughness stuff either. Like I, I don't I, I sure in a perfect world I'd love to have a coach who's creative and then also instills that you know maybe a little bit better mental toughness, physical toughness that they've lacked at times throughout these last two or three years. Um, but for me, I'd much rather just have a coach that puts them in the best position to succeed on game day and doesn't make life difficult on the offense or defense. And over in any tough game this year, the coaching staff felt like it consistently put the offense and the defense in a tough position to succeed. Right. All the main, it's funny because we talk about consistency with this team so much and it's reached a point where I'm just like, this is a completely – people will talk about, oh, well, this is – you know, we've dealt, we've talked about consistency since, you know, Jason Garrett and all this other kind of stuff. This team, this roster is Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn's roster. And I think it's a darn good roster. It's not perfect. No roster is perfect. But it's a darn good roster. They handled a bunch of injuries on the offensive line. They handled injuries at linebacker. They handled injuries. Their freaking all-pro cornerback that they paid $100 million at the start of the year got hurt four games in in a one-on-one in a Wednesday practice. Let's go back to this coaching conversation. <laughs> um, you know, you want toughness. You want physicality. Let's go one-on-one in competitive periods in Wednesday practice in the middle of the season and lose an all-pro for the year. How about that? He would have been nice to have against Green Bay, wouldn't it? Uh, but anyway, this team needs consistency from an X's and O's and a scheme standpoint. Yes. And they just they have not had it for far too long. They they had consistency in terms of what they were doing whenever Rod Marinelli was the defensive coordinator. They were doing the same thing every game, every week, no matter what. Um but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about consistently doing the same thing. I'm talking about, like you said, consistently put players in position to succeed. Like, why are we lining? And, and you know what? Like, I just talked about Sean McVay putting the, the Rams in 11 personnel every single play, no matter what. The opposite side of that, the opposite side of that coin is Dan Quinn playing dime on 75% of snaps against the team playing 12 and 13 personnel and running it right at you. Down, down 27 points or whatever it was. Right. So yeah, that is the exact opposite of what we're talking about. It, exactly. We're not talking about stubborn. And now part of that is he didn't, he didn't have any linebackers, right? Like that's part of the roster building philosophy that they went into that he probably had a big say in, but they just need consistency in terms of just put your really good players in consistent position to win, and you will win a lot of football games, and you will not get blown out of really big, important games because you won't have – you know, sometimes Micah Parsons is going to have to drop into coverage because if he lines up off the ball every on these third-down situations – and always comes, they're just always going to turn the protection to him, and you're never – like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and real quick, before we move on from that, like, people were freaking out about that. I actually didn't hate that, and it actually worked. Like – They sacked him. In that play, he dropped in the coverage, and Jordan Love, like, 
looked to his side of the field, saw he was in coverage, and like actually held onto the ball and like started to kind of hitch, hitch, hitch. They just had nobody else getting home at the point, so he was able to hitch, 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 and then find a guy thirty yards down the field. <laughs> right. So like the the thought process there worked. You just needed another one of your guys to win, and it didn't happen. Right. And there's there's just problems. And and you look at a roster with nine all pros. A guy who, if he had one, if he had the Buffalo game not in a prime time window, he probably wins the MVP. Yeah, and the wide, best wide receiver season in the history of the Cowboys, and the you know all these things. I don't think it's the roster's problem. It, it was not this year. It was not years and, in the past. We can talk. Yes. That, that can be a conversation point. This year was not. It was absolutely. It was a. This is the definition of a year of sure. You did not get a great performance from the quarterback, but this was a definition of the year that you just came into this game unprepared, and you are a thirty-year, forty-year veteran coach who's coached in plenty of big games. Pretty in like the fact that the team just looked so unprepared that the game plan, the offensive and defensive game plan looks so bad, which is such an indictment on this coaching staff. I think it's just like, there's so many people, you know, talking about the quarterback. There's so many people talking about, I mean, the conversation on Twitter's right now is just crazy with the quarterback and Micah Parsons and trading the whole team and blowing stuff up. And like, I'm not there yet. Like this team's still good. And it's the core of it's still going to be around. Just think, I think that when we talk about this and people call it an excuse, I think if you have a better coaching staff than you had on Sunday on offense and defense, you probably win that game. You probably win it pretty handily. Yes, I agree. I think, and I'm not talking about a Kyle Shanahan or even a Matt LaFleur. Like I'm talking about like the Ravens coaching staff. Like that. I mean, people, John Harbaugh gets crap all the time for, you know, having some clock management issues and, you know, he's got two rookie play callers. Like that coaching staff probably wins you that game by two possessions. But you had, uh, again, like the whole, we talked about it all year. Like if this team just plays their game and is their self in these big games, they're fine. And every time they got in one of these big games, they came out and they tried to go run heavy. As soon as I mean that the interception happened, they came out and they went run, 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 run. Like they completely just panic. They hit the panic button as soon as something happens, and there's like no coming back from it. And that is just a direct indictment on the coaching staff. It has nothing to do with the quarterback, the offensive line, the receiver. As soon as you get punched in the mouth one time, and like you start to feel like maybe what we had coming in this game isn't what we needed to do. There is no fight. There is no, all right, this is what we're going to go to now. We're going to change what we're doing. It's just like, yeah, we're going to just hand the ball off to Tony Pollard and see if we can uh, get back into some rhythm and consistency. And it's like the last thing you want to do to build rhythm with your quarterback is not have him touch the ball for three minutes. Right. Just frustrating. I mean, it's, it it really is. Yeah, absolutely. And, what we're trying, you know, like you said, there's a lot of conversation happening on Twitter and, you know, sports radio and other podcasts and TV and all this kind of stuff. And we're trying to have a conversation about like a productive conversation, right? Like what what is it what is actually going on here beyond yelling and screaming about the quarterback, yelling and screaming about whatever? Is that this team hired a head coach because, according to the owners, they wanted a veteran who had been there before, who had done it, who knew what it took to win big games, who had been to the playoffs, won playoff games, gone to the Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, all that stuff. They hired a defensive coordinator who'd been a head coach who had been to the Super Bowl, who'd been a defensive coordinator who'd been in one to a, won a Super Bowl. This is what you got. So it clearly is not a matter of the coach being prepared or knowing what it's like to coach a big game. If the coach 
is going to go into a shell or do the, it's almost the two. I wonder if the meetings internally, because we heard the team talk about how they wanted to lean on their defense. They wanted the defense to be the thing that set the tone for the team, all that kind of stuff. I wonder if internally the dialogue was, hey, we're going to kind of be a little bit conservative on offense. You dial up the creativity and the aggressiveness on defense in this game, and you kind of carry us until we get our until we kind of get everybody in rhythm and get going on offense, and then we'll we'll be able to win. Because every one of these games that we talk about, the, the Cowboys playing terribly, the alignments were nuts on defense. The personnel was crazy. Where guys were lying, it was just weird. And it's just hard to to wrap your mind around the idea that these guys sat in a building together for six days leading up to this game. And what they put on the field schematically was the best stuff they could come up with in a game that they had to win or their season was over. And that's what they put out there. It's just, it's, these are the, these are the times when I'm the most baffled about football because I don't know what you were trying to accomplish on most of these plays, which is what it, what is hard. It's frustrating. Again, it's it, it is it's it's one of those things where you you want to get away from all the memes and all that, and it's just like as a as people who are fans of the team and cover the team, it's just like you kind of look at that stuff and you want to argue it and fight it, but most of the time you just go, I mean. It's kind of you understand it at this point. I mean, you kind of just got to take it on the chin because it's it's you know I saw a lot of people. I think David Hillman said it on Twitter, and it's just like this was the team to believe in, and they fell that short on that stage. And it's like, how do you come back next year, and even with the new coaching staff, how do you come back next year and like? get excited about anything when the the team we thought was destined to, I mean, we're not saying win a Super Bowl, but at least make a an impressive showing run in the postseason fell that flat on their face on both sides of the ball. I mean, 46, what is it, 46 guys on game day, 47, whatever it is, like you can count on one hand and you probably don't need all the fingers to say, that guy really showed up and played good football today. And that's concerning. On a team with nine all pros. On a team with nine all pros and veterans oh. spread all throughout. And another handful of pro bowlers on top of and that. And I know people got mad at me when I said this, but relatively healthy going into the postseason too. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. It's it's, just, it's tough to the excitement level, whatever you want to call it, is gonna be tough to get back on that train without feeling like you might get uh your feelings hurt sooner rather than later. Exactly. And that, that sentiment right there, that is what makes me say there's no way they'll wind up bringing Mike McCarthy back. I sure hope so, man. And the thing that, the thing that's scary about it though, is I don't think they'll get in a hurry. The the one time we've really seen them, you know, in the last 15 years, they've changed coaches twice. One of them was an interim coach that was the the pride and joy son of the organization who became the head coach. That happened pretty quickly. The only other time, they took their sweet time letting that coach go, partially because his contract was going to expire. This guy's contract doesn't expire. You're going to have to fire him. And there's... We talk about what this team needs offensively. There's not that many of those dudes out there right now, man. Let me let me let me ask you. Let me ask before we get out of here and kind of wrap things up. Um, let me ask you this question: Is I really just a yes or no question? And I know it's a tough one, but well, I don't know how tough it's going to be. But let me, I want to I want to get your thoughts on it, anyways. We are in agreement that we feel like the best thing for this team is you know a. Kyle Shanahan disciple, we, we we understand that. Is the Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, Jim Harbaugh discussion? Do you per, would you prefer? Is it sticking with Mike McCarthy or one of those guys? Would would you prefer one of those guys over Mike McCarthy at this point? Like, has it gotten that bad? 
because I, I I'm with you as far as like wanting the Kyle Shanahan disciple, but I do feel like I've seen this same picture with Mike McCarthy going back to Green Bay and here to where it's like I'd rather have a bell, you know, like a I'm going lesser than what I want, but I'd rather have a Belichick Vrabel Jim Harbaugh experience than continue on the Mike McCarthy experience. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. This is good. We just spent close to an hour talking about how you can't continue with this coaching staff. I would rather run it back than hire Mike Vrabel or Bill Belichick and be at the mercy of who they would hire to be the offensive coordinator. I think I disagree with you, but I'm a lot closer than again, people who listen to this and know that I can't stand Mike McCarthy at all. I guess the reason I ask that is because I think I disagree. I think I would rather do one of those, but I'm not excited about it whatsoever, if that makes any sense. I'll say it this way. Dan Campbell, the guy everybody is in love with from a head coaching standpoint right now. Toughness, grit, CEO, super aggressive, all this stuff. His first offensive coordinator hire was Anthony Lynn. Yeah. Anthony Lynn was so bad as an offensive coordinator that Dan Campbell had to fire him mid-season, his first season, and promote the tight ends coach, Ben Johnson, to be the play caller. And Ben Johnson just so happened to be phenomenal as a play caller and has been consistently phenomenal. Answers on top of answers on top of answers. Less talent than most teams around him outperforming them. If you if you hire a coach like Mike Vrabel, if you hire a coach like Bill Belichick, even the best defensive coach that has ever lived, also probably the best CEO head coach there's ever been. If you hire Jim Harbaugh, he he That's- has to nail the offensive coordinator hire. Not That's- like almost get it right, but like he has to nail it, and then. He has to nail it again because if he nails it once, that guy's going to be a head coach in 2025. And that just won't happen. It won't happen where you hit it twice. I mean, uh, Vrabel hit it twice. Matt LaFleur, he leaves, goes to Green Bay. Arthur Smith comes back. He's really good offensively. He's not a very good head coach, but he was a good offense coordinator. Yeah, and I guess – Bill Belichick, the only one he really nailed it with, was Josh McDaniels, and I don't want any part of that guy in Dallas. No, I, and, and that's why, like, if you would, if you could tell me, and I'm still not like excited about this, but I mean, but if you could tell me that they can hire Bill Belichick and then have like not have him pick Bill O'Brien or Josh McDaniels, like it'll never happen, obviously. But I'm saying, like, in a perfect world, if you can take Bill Belichick, bring him in. Have him be your head coach. You know he does. He does a really good job with putting defense and special team players in the right position to succeed on a lot of, on more cases than not. I think that he would be good for that. But what he's going to bring from an offensive coordinator perspective has not been good. They haven't been able to develop any sort of a quarterback in New England since Tom Brady left. It's been a struggle. I mean, Bill Belichick trusted Matt Patricia and Joe Judge to call offensive plays with a second-year quarterback in a year that was going to be like essentially the make-or-break year for whether he had a future with that franchise or not. Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, an offensive line coach who became a defensive coach and a special teams coach. That's who he he handed Matt Jones to in his second year and said – here, coach my offense. I want no part of that. Yeah. No part of that at all. Give me Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn again over that all day. I don't know if I agree with you or not. It's just so sad because both of it's like it's like you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. Because yeah, that it's the, the option. The option is go get a play caller. Yes. Go get a really good play caller. And I go will get. Say- I will go say get this. Ben Johnson, go get Bobby Slowick, go get – I can't remember the guy's name in Arizona, who the offensive coordinator is down there, who is doing some really awesome stuff. You would probably get made fun of if you hired the Arizona offensive coordinator to be your head coach, 
But people who know football and watch it would say that's a great freaking hire. That offense is going to be incredible next year. People made fun of the Colts this year for hiring Shane Steichen. He did a pretty damn good job. Jonathan, and we saw what happened in Philadelphia when he was gone. And got made fun of. He did a pretty damn good job as head coach. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I, like I said, it's it's a question worth bringing up because we know Jerry loves those big fish. Um, I think out of the options, and it, it, again, I'm not excited about any of them, but I would wouldn't hate wouldn't hate the Jim Harbaugh stuff if we knew what he would bring as an offense coordinator. Because I do think he's a good coach. I just think it's he would have to, like you said, he'd have to bring somebody really good on as an offense coordinator, and you just don't know who that would be with him. And there's there's just we've reached the point where. So many of these offensive play callers are getting hired as head coaches and sticking because they're good at it, because the most important part of being a head coach or the most important part of coaching a football team is calling offensive plays. Um, Despite the leadership and toughness and leading men and all the other conversations that dudes who played in the 80s want to have when everybody was running the same thing and everybody ran five flat. Um There's so many of these guys being hired as head coaches that the guys you're choosing from, if you hire a head coach who's not an offensive play caller, the guys you're choosing from to be your play caller are not not great options. Who do you like think? You're talking about, you know, we just had the Anthony Lynn conversation. You're talking about Anthony Lynn. You're talking about um, Matt Canada. You're talking about Josh McDaniels or Bill O'Brien or, you know, guys like that, that you're hiring to be your offensive play caller. The depth, the bench of good offensive play callers is not that deep because so many head coaches are calling plays now. So instead of trying to be the exception, go get the next guy who's going to be the good offensive play caller as your, as your head coach and just be, I said this on Twitter a couple of days ago. The offense is the culture. If you have an offense, look, if you have an offense that will kick butt every week, that you know that everybody on the field on offense is going to have belief in the offensive plan every week, have buy-in in what they're doing in their assignment every single snap, that is culture. That will carry over to the defense because the defense will believe that if we get stops, our offense is going to score, we're going to win. That is the culture. Don't give me Mike Vrabel standing in front of a team going seven and nine talking about how good of a culture builder he is because they can't move the ball, but everybody talks about how tough they are. Or Bill Belichick being such a great defensive coach, but they can't move the ball and because they can't move the ball, they can't win. The offense is the culture. Yeah, and the and I guess the because again, like I said, I don't just I don't really disagree with anything you're saying. That I guess the flip side of that that people are saying is it's just if if those are the options, those three guys are Mike McCarthy. It's tough to say that Mike McCarthy can build that offensive culture too, and it's like almost the. The thought of the unknown is more exciting than Mike McCarthy returning, which I do believe in that a little bit, but I also know that it can, you know, it can get worse. It can get Matt Patricia and Bill O'Brien worse too. Absolutely, it can. Absolutely, it can get worse. And this is going to be something people won't like to hear. It's almost likely to get worse than it is to get better. You think so? I think over a full season, yes. Over on a game-to-game basis of consistency, no. Because we've seen how freaking how the swings happen with this thing. Yeah. But and which makes me think it's still the right thing because as long as you have four healthy at quarterback, you're going to win ten or eleven games. You're going to be in the playoffs every year. You're going to have a top. Five to seven offense, no matter who your offense coordinator is. They did it with- exactly, and then and then it comes down to can you put a really good game plan together for one game at a time? And if you can do that, your quarterback's good enough that if you have a good game plan on offense and defense, 
you're going to win the wild card round. And then you're going to be in a division round game against a good team. And if you put a good game plan together, your quarterback's going to give you a chance. And so I think there's a chance that it could get worse. That you may not win 12 games and most of them be by 20 plus points and have the biggest point differential in the NFL. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not in a better position to go do what you need to do on a game-to-game consistency level in the playoffs. Yeah, which is, like I said, I mean, this, this team has no problem winning football games in the regular season. But for whatever reason, and I hate to say it, like, I, I promise I'm not, I promise I'm not trying to sound like I'm getting ready to say, but like, this team played better in the playoffs as Jason Garrett as their head coach than it has with Mike McCarthy. They've been I, I'm not I'm not saying Jason Garrett's a better head coach than Mike McCarthy. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when you go back to their playoff, I mean they had the great game against Tampa Bay. That's the exception, yes. Which speaks to the inconsistency of this football team. Like it yes. almost makes me more aggravated that they can go mm-hmm. out and do that and then come out the next week and do what they did. Like but like when you go back and you see the Green Bay game, I know that they, you know, lost that game, but they fought real hard. They were the, you know, they were the number one seed, but rookie quarterback. It was kind of an uphill battle there. They pretty, pretty close game, tough fought game. You lost, but you kind of felt good about yourself after that game. Seattle, they go into Seattle, they beat Seattle. They play the Rams, um, lose to the Rams. But like, even that was like your defense got exposed. It really wasn't a crappy game plan on offense. It was just a, it's, who who was it that ran all over him? That C.J. Anderson is that who it was? Yep. yep. C.J. Anderson ran for nine hundred yards. Um, I don't know. It just the the inconsistency and like unprepared nature of this team since Mike McCarthy came aboard is what absolutely terrifies me about them just running it back with it because it's just outside of that Tampa Bay game, which I know was an awesome game. It's just been a lot of wow. This is very boring and not creative and you're setting your players up for failure. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, as everybody realizes with the season over, you know, the off season stuff's going to get in. The draft's going to be here. Free agency's going to be here. We're obviously going to continue to talk all about that. We appreciate everyone for listening, following us along all season. We had a blast. Um, is frustrated and disappointed as we are now. It was a fun season, you know, minus a couple games during the regular season. This was a, a team that we really did feel very confident in. Um, we thought they actually did have a really good chance to, you know, as we said earlier, make probably the furthest and deepest run that we've seen a Cowboys team make in 30 years or so. And, you know, obviously that fell flat on its face and did not happen the way we thought it would. But um, it was a fun year. Regular season was fun. We had a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot of fun things to talk about. Um, you know, we thought we thought this team had a really good chance of having the quarterback win the MVP, the wide receiver win the offense player of the year, the you know Michael Parsons win defense player of the year. You had three of the best players on on the sides of the ball playing for you for most of the year. So, like I said, this team's still talented. It's still got plenty of talent on it. It's it's not one of those things. You know, a lot of people are talking about blowing it up and rebuilding. I I just don't think that that's smart. I think you got to get the right coaching staff in here. Um, to kind of elevate this team against level competition. Um, that was kind of a lot of our thing. This this whole year is like, yeah, like we get it. They're winning 12 games a year, but when they get in the playoffs, if they get blown out again or they don't show up prepared to play at this point, it's just you're, you're wasting your time hanging on to the guy because, you know, last year they didn't have the talent. The year before that they were talented, but, you know, still, still kind of flawed. Mike McCarthy's first real run as a playoff team and, um, this year, the way it ended, it just it, it, it they got to do something different. They just can't run it back. So we appreciate everybody listening, uh, tuning in each week. We're going to dive into NFL free agency. You know, obviously continue to talk about some of these NFL playoffs each week, but we're going to get into some free agent discussions. Um, we got a lot of players coming up for to expected hit free agency. So we'll talk about all that and we'll, We'll get into the draft and all the draft prospects before you know it. Obviously, getting into that a little bit sooner than we were hoping for, but um, that's how things work in the NFL when you don't don't show up to play in January. <laughs> yep, you nailed it.
We'll be back next week, like I said, getting into some some free agent off-season topics. Um, you know, obviously we might have some coaching news before then, so some things to talk about on that front. Uh, we have a lot to continue to talk about these next few weeks and these next few months as we prepare for the NFL free agency and the NFL draft. So we hope that you guys will continue to uh, come back and listen. Uh, thanks to Blogging Boy, Blogging the Boys, all the different shows and platforms that they have uh, on the Blogging the Boys podcast podcast platform you can find that on whatever podcast platform you listen on we're going to continue all the off-season talks uh throughout the weeks um leading up to the nfl free agency nfl draft so we thank you guys so much for listening unfortunately season did not end the way any of us hoped it would but we will always be back the next year and uh hopefully that year will be our year um till then like i said we'll see you guys next week on the talk of the star podcast see you then